Isaiah 53, 1 through 6, 11 through 12. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken and struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. This, this is, is the, the, word of the Lord. word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Red Hills. It is so good to be with you today. My name is Kate Swanson. I have the joy of serving our church as executive pastor. And we are in the third Sunday of Advent, Advent where we will focus on the Advent theme of love. Now, from the scripture reading, you might be wondering, why are we in Isaiah 53? Why aren't we in the really mushy, exuberant, over-the-top, lovey-dovey Bible verses? And there's a very good reason for that. <laughs> you see, uh, I, as I prepared for this message, I reviewed my messages that I spoke to, um, spoke to our church over this last year. Does anyone else really like to do end-of-the-year recaps? Like you do like a timeline or you figure out, yep, okay, I'm not alone. <laughs> and so... I looked through the, my messages and I found one central theme I got to talk about. So in Philippians, I talked about Paul's suffering and chains. In our Lent series, I got to talk on lament. In our Acts series, I talked about the demon-possessed slave girl and Paul and Silas in chains. In our vision series, I got to talk about loving your oppressor out of Jeremiah 29. And in our Sermon on the Mount series, I spoke on murder, adultery, and divorce. <laughs> and here we are, Advent love. Whew, love is an easy one to preach on. And then Elaine emailed me. <laughs> hey guys, I decided to shift your passages to fit a little better with themes. Brett, you will be in Isaiah 12, focusing on the joy of salvation. Kate, you will be in Isaiah 53, focusing on a love that suffers. Another lighthearted one, laughing emoji. <laughs> And while we joke about this, in all honesty, I am so glad that over the course of this year, these messages sharing about suffering 
have challenged me to see God's love in a whole new way. My family has personally been through a lot of suffering over the course of about four years. Um, If you've ever had to make a a timeline for meeting with a counselor of major or traumatic events in your life, more than half of mine have been in the last four years. But in this specific season, we have watched many of our church family members experience deep suffering. I've been at this church for over a decade. I've been on the prayer team for many years. I've gotten the weekly emails, and I have not seen this kind of hospitalization, diagnosis, grief, and loss, and unknown that I've seen in the last couple of months in our church. Our staff has been on their knees and making chaplain visits and walking with people through the darkest of seasons. And I've taken time to study the deep suffering of our Savior. We've been in prayer and petition. And it's drawn me closer in relationship than I've ever been with Jesus. That in the midst of pain and oppression, we have a Savior who understands it all that we can run to. We are able to bring our suffering to him. We are in this series called The Upside Down Kingdom, and through Isaiah the prophet, we understand how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies of a loving servant savior sacrificing his life for us. How these writings to those in exile are not only for Israel, but they are for us to unpack Jesus' nature and the embodiment of love come to earth. Jesus' sacrificial love changes everything. Not only does it change the course of history and the direction of eternity, but it shifts everything we understand about who we are as individuals and as a community. So we're going to unpack a love that suffers today. But first, let's pray. (laughs) Jesus, we are so thankful for you. We are thankful for the embodiment of love that you are to us individually, as a church family, as a larger community, Lord. We thank you for how you are revealing yourself to us, and I pray today that, Holy Spirit, you just come and dwell in this place, dwell with your people, be in hearts and minds, be with those that are walking through suffering, move in our lives. We pray and petition this on, um, only to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So, as Christians, we understand that the passage that was just read directs to the suffering of Christ, which Isaiah the prophet wrote in the 7th century, around that time, before Jesus was born. Pastor Lane kindly covered a lot of the history a couple weeks ago. Thank you, Pastor Lane. So, we know that the book of Isaiah is rich with prophecy and foreshadowing and symbolic metaphors for all that is to come. And there is so much suffering in this section of scripture. In the 12 verses that make up Isaiah 53, there are 28 references to pain, rejection, or persecution. This section is dense with physical and emotional distress. And at the end of verse five, it says, the punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. 
The word healed here in Hebrew is rafa, meaning to heal of God or to heal the hurts of nations and restore favor. All of this points to the individual and communal atoning sacrifice of Jesus. You see, our salvation is found in the whole life of Jesus. God's redemption by sending Jesus into the world as a baby, the word became flesh. The atonement of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, which satisfied the debt of sin. And finally, the reconciliation found in Jesus' resurrection, the current hope of a life sanctified by walking with him and a future hope of full restoration. Our church is part of the Foursquare movement, and Article 4 of our doctrinal statements addresses this plan of redemption. It said it so well, I didn't want to rephrase it, so I'm going to just read it to you. So Article 4, we believe that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the just for the unjust, freely and by divine appointment of the Father, taking the sinner's place, bearing his sin, receiving his condemnation, dying his death, fully paying his penalty and signing with his life's blood the pardon of everyone who should believe upon him, that upon simple faith and acceptance of the atonement purchased on Mount Calvary, the vilest sinner may be cleansed of his iniquity and made whiter than driven snow. And the first verse listed as a reference is verse five, and it bears repeating, punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. This is noted in one of the theories of atonement, known as satisfaction. This is the substituted suffering of how humanity is redeemed. Because Jesus was obedient to death, there is a satisfaction for our sin. Justice is granted by his blood. We are pardoned from the wages of sin and death. And this can be hard to comprehend. I know Jesus laid his life down for all people, I know that he sat at the table with Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him with a kiss. I know that he faced Herod and Pilate, and they allowed innocent Jesus to be put to death. And this is the gift of atonement. His blood covers all when we reconcile with him. Here's the point I'm getting at. Jesus intervened for all of us. We are free by his victory over evil. This is the Christus Victor theory of atonement. Jesus came as the last Adam to undo what the first Adam did in the garden. This is the recapitulation theory of atonement. All of this, Jesus in all his omnipotence and humanity came as a sacrifice to atone for our sins. If you thought the story of Jesus was merely the murder of a good person, I'm here to tell you that it is the act of a holy and abiding Savior living out the messianic promise through facing and defeating everything the torturous cross stood for. And when we step into following Jesus, we try to reconcile all of this. We try to grasp the breadth and depth and width of God's love for us through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. When we try to comprehend this kind of sacrificial love, there are two problems I notice. And the first is this. We 
don't embrace Jesus's love. We don't embrace Jesus's love. It is hard for us to fathom. It's hard to comprehend the deep love it takes for the father to offer his son in death and the obedience of Jesus to face the cross and conquer evil. It's hard to hear these words in Isaiah 53 that he was despised and rejected, struck down, afflicted, and crushed. That Jesus carried our iniquities and bore our sin because he was willing to submit himself to death. You can hear these words and think, how could someone do that for me? Maybe you have this kind of inner dialogue. I'm too messed up. You don't know how far I am away from God. No one could love me that much to sacrifice everything for me. I get it. I really do. I feel the same way sometimes. I had a call with a mentor last week, and I shared my sin. I shared something that I had done over a decade ago, things that I had already brought before Jesus and and asked for forgiveness. And I had known, right? I had known I was forgiven. But I kept telling myself I had this mark of sin. I kept telling myself I had this patch on my shoulder that felt like I was carrying the same title of a sinner and not the one that Jesus had given me, which is of a saint. Look, this is a mental battle of our broken world, that we can talk ourselves out of the deep, all-encompassing love of Jesus because the enemy wants you to live with that mark of sin on you forever. Our minds can tell us that we have messed up and there's no repentance, but Jesus stands before you with outstretched arms and says, you are forgiven. Jesus says, I am the one. I am the one who paid it all. Just come to me. Come have a relationship with me. Tell me your burdens. Tell me your brokenness. And instead, I will clothe you with love and reconciliation and acceptance. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples after sharing that he wasn't a ghost and he revealed his hands and feet and he ate before them. He said this, he told them in Luke 24, he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, Isaiah, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in my name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Do we believe it? Do we accept it? Do we live in this kind of freedom and love every single day? We should. The second problem I see is this. We don't embody Jesus' love to others. Through the brokenness of our world, through the wayward sin that we so easily get entangled in, we turn away from Jesus and we don't embody the life and flourishing his kingdom calls us to. There is a grace for when we stumble and make mistakes. 
but it's when we choose our own way instead of God's way. If we choose the wide road instead of the narrow path, if we give into our flesh and the things of this world, we end up hurting people in the process and not loving them. Paul shares this inner turmoil in Romans 7 about this tear between wanting to do good and feeling weighted down by his sinful nature. He says, I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. In the places we let our flesh take over, there is wayward and purposeless sin, and it's so broken. Let's go back to Isaiah 53, verse six. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him, meaning the servant, Jesus, for the iniquity of us all. We are like sheep. We turn away from our shepherd. We so quickly want to run to what we desire. Maybe it's greener grass on the other hillside. And we don't follow the one who has a plan for our own flourishing. There's a reason Jesus tells this parable in Matthew 18. What do you think? If someone has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go and search for the stray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than over the 99 that did not go astray. In the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Our good shepherd is calling us into his fold, not only for our own good, but to extend love and care for others. When we turn away from Jesus, when we run toward our own desires, it is an offense against his deep love for us. Our love for others can be broken. So what is the good news? The good news is this. Jesus is our example of loving sacrifice. Those who profess Jesus as Lord are called to the same kind of sacrificial love that's to be shared with all those around you. We are a reflection of his love. There's a line from an old Phil Wickham song that I love. It's called Sun and Moon. And I won't sing it like Pastor Brett because we do not have the same talents. (laughs) But I will say it to you. So the lyric goes like this. If you are the sun, then I wanna be the moon. I wanna reflect the love that shines from you. When Jesus takes a hold of your heart and you are willing to say, Lord, transform me from the inside out, renew my desires, bring me into alignment with your spirit so that I can embrace your love for me and extend it to others. This is the good news we get to live out. God's intention in sending Jesus was for us to be a part of this story a suffering servant who reconciles God and humanity, and Jesus gives us the opportunity for the work of reconciliation to be done through each of us. That concept really blows my mind regularly, (laughs) that even after the fall and sin and wayward generation, God still pursues. He sends Jesus, and before Jesus ascends to heaven, he says, now it's your turn. I pass the task on to you. This was the plan. 
that a way for humanity to be reconciled to God is also that humanity, you and me, will be part of reconciling each other to God. Wow. Look, Jesus chose love, and he chose love over personal comfort. There is a reason why he is called the son of suffering. We read about his suffering from the night he was betrayed in Matthew 26. Jesus says, I am deeply grieved even to the point of death. And he asks the father to let this cup pass. And then he says, yet not my will, but God's be done. Jesus chose love above it all. He exhibited it in every part of his physical and spiritual being. All the characteristics we know from 1 Corinthians 13, patience, kindness, generosity, humility, being honoring and self-sacrificing and peaceful, forgiving and truthful and protecting and hopeful and everlasting. All these things manifest a rich love that Jesus extends to us and we get to extend to others. So what does love look like? I have four points that I want us to recognize um, as sacrificial love as we kind of carry this out as Christ's followers. So the first is this. Love looks like witnessing, sharing the love of Christ. And no, I know when I say witnessing, you're like, maybe I get to be like the bystander that witnesses like events take place. That's not what I'm talking about in this case. This is the extension of Christ's love for others, is telling them the good news of the gospel. The love we receive propels us to love one another, to know that without love, we are nothing but a clanging gong or noisy symbol. This is the great commission in Acts 1, to the ends of the earth, tell them about Jesus. With other Christians, I often hear when it comes to suffering. If I didn't have Jesus, I don't know how I would fill in the blank. I don't know how I would get through the loss of a parent. I don't know how I would sustain or come out of a pit of depression. I don't know how I would watch my loved ones suffer through disease. Whatever your fill in the blank is, There is a world experiencing this without the hope of Jesus. Many times when we are witnessing, it's just sharing life with people. It's interacting with your coworkers, it's being kind to the people that you speak to on a day-to-day basis. And that in that reflection of Jesus' love, you'll get asked, why are you so nice to everyone? Why are you so kind? Why are you so light? And God opens that door for a conversation or an experience to be shared that radically changes the trajectory of someone's life towards relationship with Jesus. And part of witnessing is simply sharing your story. As Jesus' followers, we know that God can work through our own pain and suffering and use it to care for others. Knowing the pain of long-term hospitalization and you can show up for one another knowing the gift of a meal after the exhaustion of bringing a baby home. It creates a deep empathy for us to show up for one another. 
Romans 8 says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The second point I have is this. Love looks like community. Community looks a lot like love. Sharing life together looks a lot like love. I'm gonna brag on my BFF for a second and she's in the room and she's going to blush, but if you are my friend, sometimes you end up in my sermons. (laughs) That's just life. (laughs) But as we were starting to emerge out of COVID, my friend Jenna was extremely intentional about getting outside with her kids and she wanted better connection with her neighbors. And while it would have been really easy for her to hang out in her backyard, she chose every day to hang out in her front yard. And she would notice other moms walking by. Occasionally it'd be like a little, hello, like hi, and a wave. And after a bit of time, one of them would stop and start talking. How old are your kids? What school do they go to? Neighborhood happenings. And slowly over the course of about six months, They started watching shows together on Thursday nights and hanging out on 4th of July. And this group of about six moms from all different lives, all different religious backgrounds, they became a community that supported each other and loved each other, that showed up with meals when a new baby arrived or let you borrow sparkly pants for a Christmas party and run them over to your house. And this little community, which I, on occasion, get lovingly adopted into, (laughs) has been the most beautiful picture of loving your neighbor and being connected in love and encouragement. My friend Jenna, her love shines so bright for others. And I know time and time again, she gets to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those around her. Hebrews 10 says this, And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Our groups have been an incredible conduit of this kind of encouragement and embrace. I've watched as people have shared their talents with each other and cared for one another how they've gone through deep suffering and carried one another's burdens. Our next term of groups is gonna start on January 21st and you can make the decision today to say, I'm gonna show up in community in a new way next year. Third point is this, love looks like generosity, giving as an act of love. Second Corinthians nine says this, Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. There is a reason why when we approach giving at Red Hills that we understand it to be part of our worship. We use the phrase, we worship 
through generosity because we see it as a sacrificial act to honor and revere God. And generosity goes far beyond the act of giving to the church. Sometimes it's sharing your talents or simply the things that are available to you. You might have noticed there are some very handy black communion cup holders in the seat backs in front of you. And we as staff had nothing to do with this ingenious invention. I noticed that there were two holders in one seating section one Sunday. I picked it up and I noticed it was 3D printed. And there was a cute little R, like Red Hills R circle logo on the front. And I thought, how cool is that? And then a few weeks later, the cup holder started growing. There were four, and then there were six. So I was genuinely curious who had created this innovative design and was willing to share it with others. So I watched the seating section meticulously one Sunday <laughs> and uh, discovered who was kindly sharing their talent and treasure with our church family and I won't reveal their identity because I don't think they'd want me to. But this person has now filled our sanctuary with over 70 communion holders. This is a cheerful giver, someone being so thoughtful to help and share their kindness with others. The fourth point is this, love looks like serving, love in action. When I mentioned my message from Loving Your Oppressors from Jeremiah 29, it was from our vision series uh, that has one of our pillars of our church, loving service. In Galatians 5, it says, you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Our freedom, because of Jesus' sacrifice, allows us to love and serve others. There is a joy and a purpose in who you are and what you have to give. And if you've not gone through next steps, we have it today, it's after the gathering. But I encourage you, if you've been a part of our church but haven't been plugged in, know that there is a place for you. There is something specific that you were created for to be a part of in our church family. We've made serving really easy. We've got like little buttons on our website and all those things, or you can just chat with one of us. But this is my charge to you in this season. In all of this, understanding the Lord's loving sacrifice, serve one another in love. Show up for one another. Go above and beyond to extravagantly care for one another. Whether through witnessing or community, generosity, or serving, recognize that these gifts, these opportunities, all flow from the loving sacrifice of Jesus. And it might take personal sacrifice or time or treasure or stepping out or being intentional, but it's meaningful. It's meaningful work because we get to be a part of Jesus' story. He's chosen us to live out this plan. At this time, I'm gonna invite the worship team up and we're gonna transition to communion if you wanna grab your elements. And if you are new to church or have not making that, made that step to follow Jesus yet, I'm gonna invite you just to hold the elements in your hand. 
and our auditorium hosts will be going around if you um, weren't able to grab one coming in. But as we come to communion, we see these elements as the ultimate symbol of love, the sacrifice it took, the brutality of death that Jesus faced so he could atone for our sins. Verse 12, it says, he submitted himself unto death. Some versions say he poured himself out. This is the new covenant, that we are no longer have separation from God, but that Jesus is near in relationship with us. So we join together, all the faithful gathered to recognize who Jesus is, in his birth, a gift to the world, in his life, a representation of God's great love for us, and in his death and resurrection, the sacrifice given for the sin of the world. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you, the blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. I'm gonna invite you to stand as we close with a song this morning. The chorus of this beautiful Christmas hymn says, Oh, come, let us adore him. And I pray that you embrace his love as we go from this place. We adore him with everything that we are. Let's worship together.